You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Welcome, everybody. Good morning to you. Uh, man, weren't those baptisms great? Wasn't that awesome? And then we got two more, I believe, in the next service. And so, so thankful to see God's work in and through this church and the lives of other people. And so, um, if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and go to John chapter 16 this morning. John 16, and if you're a guest today, let me just welcome you personally. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, on behalf of the pastors and members, we're glad that you chose to spend uh, this morning with us. Uh, what you see here, um, or if you're watching online, just so you know about us, we're a bunch of imperfect people who are standing in need of one perfect person together, and that person is Jesus Christ. And so um, if you are imperfect and you know that you need Jesus or you want to learn more about the real resurrected King Jesus, uh, man, we might be the church for you. And so if you are interested in getting more information about us, go to the Crossing Paragraph com or I think it's just crossingparagold.com. You can learn about us that way. Or if you're online, uh, click on the connect link being dropped in the comment section right now. Um, you can fill out some information that way or take the connect card that's in the back of the seat in front of you. Fill out that information, leave it in your chair. We'll collect it and seek to serve you to the best of our ability. Uh, today, again, if you are new, I want you to know, uh, welcome. This is going to be a little bit different sermon uh, than normal. For those of you who are members in our church, you know that starting April the 5th, that I'm going to be going on a three-month sabbatical. And uh, those sabbaticals are actually uh, very common. Pastors have been taking sabbaticals for the past you know, hundreds of years. Um, I know this is new to our church. And so what I want to do today is I just want to basically uh, spend time talking about what a sabbatical means, um, not just for me and my family, but for our church as a whole. And to do that, I want to look in John 16. We'll read verse 5 through verse 7. As always, I'm reading from the NIV translation, and the notes for the sermon today are on the Version Bible app. Uh, by the way, well done on being here for the early service. I mean, when you spring forward and you come to the earliest service, I'm pretty sure you get like extra credit in heaven or something like that. Um, that's not in the Bible that I know of. It's just something I said. So um, I usually sleep till like 5 a.m. I woke up at 7 a.m. this morning. Anybody else like wake up later than normal? Okay, four of you. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, I felt like I've been running late all morning, but I'm here and so are you and uh, well done on that. John 16, I'm going to read verse five through verse seven. I'm going to draw some implications from this text for our lives and also in regards to our church and my sabbatical. Uh, this is Jesus talking. He says, verse five, I am going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good I'm going away. That is my verse to you as a church. It is for your good that I'm going away. Jesus says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let me just pray for us one more time and then we'll dive into this. Father, thank you so much for just... Uh, the baptisms we got to experience today. Oh, I'm so just thrilled to see, Jesus, that you are still ruling and you are reigning and that you are changing lives. 
You are here today. Your presence has been manifested among us. And I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, through the teaching of your word, that you would take it, you'd plant it deep into our hearts, that it would not just pass in one ear and out the other, but that you would minister to all of us in a unique and powerful way. And it's in Christ's name that I ask these things. Amen. So I have a friend who works for hospice in Kentucky. Uh, I've been working for them, I guess, for the last eight years. And I asked him recently, hey, Caleb, what's the biggest thing that you've taken away from working with dying people on a daily basis? And he said, oh, that's easy. He said, the things that I typically roll my eyes at, like my daughter asking me to push her in the swing again, he says, that's the kind of stuff that dying people wish they could go back and do all over. Uh, he went on and he said that, that when I have been around people daily who are on their deathbed, the thing that they wish they had more of is, is more than they wish they had more money, more than they wish they had uh, have accomplished more great things or obtained more stuff. What someone on their deathbed wants more than anything else is more time with the people that they love the most. And as I've reflected on that in my own life uh, since talking with Caleb, I, I thought, you know, isn't it true? That, that the most valuable thing that we can get or we can give is our presence. It's not presence. It's our, our presence. That's the most valuable thing we can get or give. Maybe for some of you, you grew up in a home where your parents showered you with gifts, but they weren't very present in your life. And you know if that's the case, no matter how much stuff you had, it felt like something was missing. Uh, whenever you go through good times, whenever you experience the birth of a child or a graduation or a baptism or, or whatever it may be, you want people you love there to experience it with you. Uh, when you go through bad times, the same is true. When you experience loss or, or hardship or you're sick, more than you want flowers or balloons, you just want to know that the people you care about the most are there. As a pastor, what I've learned uh, over the years is that when someone is in a difficult season, when they've experienced the death of a loved one or they've received a bad diagnosis, more than they need my preaching, what they want is just my presence. Sometimes I don't have to say anything, just be there with them. And, you know, whenever we think about the, the value of presence, that's what makes to me John 16 so perplexed. Because after being present in the life of his disciples for three years, after praying with his disciples and eating with his disciples, after Jesus ministering with and even partying with his disciples, this man who has changed their life forever, this man who they've seen healed the sick and given sight to the blind and raised the dead and do all of these other amazing things, he says to them in this passage, guys, I'm leaving. To which I'm sure the disciples were like, oh, that's cool, Jesus will see you tomorrow. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, I'm leaving, leaving. I'm going away. Like, you're not going to physically have me here in the flesh anymore. And then he says this very odd line. He says, I'm leaving, and you need to know this is actually for your good. Now, I, I imagine this would be like whenever you're dating someone in high school, and you think things are going well, at least from your perspective, and they show up, and they're like, I love you, but... It's like, it doesn't matter what comes next. You know, because that butt, like, it's not going to be good. Like, that's what this text feels like to me. Like, I'm sure that's the way the disciples receive this. Jesus says, guys, I love you, but I'm leaving. And believe it or not, he says, this is actually for your good. To which I, I would imagine if I was a disciple, I would be like, for our good? 
Like, like, how could this be for our good? I mean, what could be better than having Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, right beside me? How can your leaving Jesus be for our good? And what does Jesus say? It's for your good because when I leave, I'm going to send you my advocate. In other words, when I leave, I'm going to send you my very Holy Spirit so that rather than just being beside you, I can now live in you. This, according to New Testament scholar Dale Bruner, is the best thing that could ever happen for a disciple of Jesus while on earth. When Jesus says, I am going to go away, what he is doing is he is opening up a whole new dimension of his presence that can now be manifested, not just beside us, but in us. I know there's a lot that can be said about this. There are three implications I think it has on our life as disciples. Three things we need to take away from this text before we talk about my sabbatical. And the first thing I want you to see is this, because the Spirit of God is in you, you can be with Jesus 24-7. Which means, listen, no matter where you are in life, if you had the Spirit of Jesus in you, you are never alone. This is such good news because we are living in, in the middle of what sociologists refer to as a loneliness pandemic or loneliness epidemic. And it's in the middle of this loneliness epidemic that Jesus Christ, you need to know if you have the spirit, is closer to you than the skin on your body because he now through his spirit is inside of you, coursing through every fiber of your being. And one of the greatest things about having the spirit of God inside of us is he is constantly reminding you, even right now, whether you hear his voice or not, he is constantly reminding you of the unconditional, never given up, always and forever love that Jesus has for you. In Romans chapter 8, I just have to, to read this over you. It's one of my favorite chunks of scripture in the Bible. Listen to what Paul says here in Romans eight thirty five. He says, talking about those who are in Christ, and Christ is in us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the things that are present, not the future, nor any powers, neither height nor debt nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Maybe for some of you, you've listened to this and your spouse has left you. And what the Spirit wants you to know is Jesus will never leave you. Some of you in here, you feel like you have been rejected by your family and your friends, and the Holy Spirit wants you to know Jesus will never reject you. Maybe for some of you, you've been recently discarded by your company. The Spirit wants you to know today Jesus will never discard you. There is nothing in heaven and on earth that can separate you from the love of God poured out to you through Christ Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to remind you of today. That's why it's good that he leaves. Because when we receive the Holy Spirit and he comes and lives in us, we can know that we can now be with Jesus 24-7. And no matter what happens, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from his loving presence. Not only is that good news, but secondly, what we see, what we're reminded of from this passage is that whenever Jesus goes away and he sends a spirit, because the spirit of Jesus is now in you, not only can you be with Jesus, you can become like Jesus. 
I've read this recently, but it's worth reading again. Second Corinthians three verse 18 says that, and we all with unveiled faces now contemplate the Lord's glory and are therefore being transformed. You've heard me say this before. The Greek word for transformed is what? It's the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get our English word from metamorphosis. It's the process of, what we think about metamorphosis, uh, the radical process of how a caterpillar changes to a butterfly. And what Paul is saying here is that is God's goal for your life, to begin to transform you that radically from the inside out, like a caterpillar to a butterfly, and to transform you what, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, to transform you into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. And how does this happen? Look at the end of 2 Corinthians 3.18. This comes from the Lord who is in the who? The Spirit. So the Spirit brings about radical transformation so that you can actually become like Jesus. You need to hear that today because some of you think you had this ball and chain that you're going to be carrying with you the rest of your life. And you think, I'm just going to always be anxious. I'm just going to always be depressed. I'm just going to always feel like I've been alone and rejected and abandoned. I'm always going to have this addiction. I'm always going to have this hair trigger temper. I'm always going to just whatever, carry this grudge. And that is a lie. If you had the Spirit of God living in you, not only can you be with Jesus, you can become like Jesus. Third, not only because you have the Spirit can you be with Jesus and become like Jesus, but you can now have the power to do what Jesus did. In the words of Jesus in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not exactly a confidence booster today. You can do nothing But here's the good news. We don't have to try to pull this life apart from him. He has given us his spirit so that now we can do through him what we can never do in our own power. And this is exactly what Jesus says right before John 15, where he says in John chapter 14, that you can do the works I have done and even greater works than these you can do. Now, you can argue all day long on what Jesus means by greater, but I think one thing we can all agree with is whatever he means by greater, he doesn't mean lesser. Like, you can do the works that we saw Jesus doing on earth. And this is another reason why Jesus says it's good that I leave. Because think about this. When Jesus was just here on earth in the flesh, he could only do mighty works where he was in that moment. He was limited by physical space and and physical time. But now that he has left, he has sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. And so now, wherever we are as his disciples, as we are walking in step with the Spirit, we can do the mighty works of Jesus all over the world. And so Jesus says, of course, it's good that I leave. Because when I leave and I send you my Spirit, you can be with me 24-7. You can then become like me and you can do the things that I did. Now, As I've been thinking about this passage and this message and Jesus' words here, I want to make a connection before we end today with this text, our church, and my sabbatical, where I'll be leaving again for for three months. And to start, I want to say something that's obvious, um, but it needs to be said. Um, And what I need to say that I know is obvious is very simply this. I am not Jesus. I know that you know that, but I need you to know that I know that too, okay? Um, I know more than ever that I am not Jesus. But with that said, I do think that just as Jesus says, it is good for you that I go away, there are things that are good for you about me going away, if that makes sense. 
And I want to talk about that, but before I do, let me make sure we're all clear on what a sabbatical is. Because there's a lot of misconceptions around this. And I think I can put the definition on the screen for you. Um, To be clear, a sabbatical is not a vacation. A sabbatical, as you see on the screen, is a carefully planned period of time in which a pastor is granted leave away from his normal responsibilities in order to spend an extended period of time in rest and renewal and refreshment. And if you're reading that, I know that you're probably thinking, okay, well, Jared, I can see how that's good for you, and that's good for your family, right? Rest, renewal, refreshment, good for you. But how is that good for our church? How is that good for me and my family? And there are three things that I would say on why this is good for you that I go away. And the first thing I would say is this. It is good for you that I go away because sabbaticals protect us from becoming a personality-driven church. If you look at the research, it's actually not very encouraging on why people choose a church. The top three reasons that most families pick a church, and I'll, I'll put this on the screen for you, is number three, the number three reason they pick a church is because of the kids' ministry. The second most common reason why someone chooses a church is the music. And the most common reason anybody chooses a church is because of preaching, because of the communication that happens here, like what I'm doing right now. Now, to be clear, I am for all of those things. Like, I personally want to have a kids' ministry that is safe and fun and Christ-centered. I mean, don't you, right? You're sending your most treasured possessions back there. You want to make sure they're taken care of. Um, I want us to have good music. Uh, I want us to strive, as our musicians do, and we do have good music, right? But I want our musicians to continue to strive at, at, at excellence, at improving their craft. Like I, I want, when I show up, to feel like I can have a worshipful experience where I can be, you know, just swept up into God's presence who is here and pour out praises to him. Like, I want that. And if I'm not preaching, whoever's here, I want to make sure I'm sitting under faithful preaching. I want to make sure they're being true to the, to the gospel, true to the text, and that they're able to take this and apply it to my life. Like, I want that. And so those are all good things. But here's where we cross the line in America. Where we cross the line is we begin to view those three things, as you see on the screen, as these religious goods that we're meant to consume. And so basically what happens is, is rather than joining a church because to be a part of a church is really to be a part of the mission of God and to join him in taking the gospel forward, rather than partnering with a church that we think can best help us do that, we join a church based off of what happens here for an hour. How good are the kids' ministry programs? How good is the music? And the number one reason that people join a church is how good is that guy on stage for 30 to 45 minutes? And, and, and so, you know, one of the things that a sabbatical does is, is, is it protects us from becoming the kind of church where we say, you know what? We want people to stay here and decide if they're going to stay or leave based off of one person on a stage. Like being on sabbatical, it protects us from being a church that is primarily built around a personality or a person who communicates for 30 to 45 minutes a week. Does that make sense? And that's one of the reasons why it's good for me to go on sabbatical because we do not want to be built on anyone or anything here other than Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's good for me to go away because sabbaticals provide an opportunity for others to grow. Provides an opportunity for others to grow. Uh, last month, Adam at our members meeting, he shared how he's going to be rolling off our full-time staff to go work for your Enneagram coach. He'll be living here and serving as a non-vocational elder here. But almost immediately after he shared that, he's going to be rolling off staff, four to five people came up to me and said, Jared, how can I serve? 
How can I help? How can I carry some of the responsibilities that Adam was carrying so that we can continue in the mission as a church? I think of Jen Collier, who just this past week has come and worked six days straight in our church. And I asked her a couple days ago, she actually like came in and worked and she brought us all like something sweet, uh, like brownies and stuff. And so like, but I'm like, why are you doing all this? And she said, because according to the Bible, y'all aren't the only ministers. Like I'm also a minister of the gospel. Like I'm also called to take responsibility for this church. And I know with Adam rolling off and you going on sabbatical, there's a lot of work to be done. And so I just want you guys to tell me where the work is most needed and I want to come and I want to serve. So she like basically organized all of our kids' rooms to prepare for Crossing Kids launch this week. It's a great example of what happens whenever a leader often steps aside. It provides the space and freedom for others to step up and use the gifts the Spirit has given them so we begin to see the power of God flow in them and through them in really powerful ways. And so whether it's members of this church or our staff or our elders, I really believe that when I go away for the next three months, we're going to see the Holy Spirit fall on some people in a fresh way and he's going to begin to, to grow them up and to mature them in a way that is good for our church and glorifying to him. Finally, I would say this, a sabbatical, me going away is good because a sabbatical proves that Jesus ultimately holds all things together. Did you notice how, by the way, my points all had a P in it? I came up with that myself, protect, provide, prove. And so I felt pretty good about that personally, but I can tell you're not as impressed. Um, Sabbaticals prove that Jesus ultimately holds all things together. Colossians 1.17 says this. He, talking about Jesus, is before all things and in him. Not in sermons. Not in lead pastors. Not in programs or processes. But in him all things hold together. And on April 5th, and for the next three months after that, we're going to see just how true that is. Eugene Peterson, who is a pastor we like a lot, we quote often. Some people I know are like hate on Eugene Peterson, but they're like, man, he tried to retranslate the Bible when he wrote the message translation. And it's like, no, no, no. He like, he just loved his people so much. Like most of the people in his church didn't have an education. And so he literally spent, I don't know what it was, 15 years just trying to take the Bible and help put it in language that a common person in his context understood. And then it took off and like it's sold all over the world now. But just an awesome man of God. He took a year-long sabbatical from his congregation. One year. And here's what he said in hindsight after taking his year-long sabbatical. But this is a pretty lengthy quote, but I think it's worth reading. A benefit I had not counted on was a change in the congregation after my sabbatical. They were refreshed and confident in a way I had not observed before. One of the dangers of a long-term pastorate is the development of neurotic dependencies between the pastor and the people. I had worried about that from time to time. Was it healthy for me to stay in this church for so long? Had I taken the place of God for them? Could the church get along without me? Would the faith and worship and trust we worked so hard to develop disintegrate in my absence? None of these fears was realized. Not one, not even a little bit. The congregation thrived. They found they did not need me at all. <laughs> they discovered they could be a church of Jesus Christ with another pastor quite as well as they could with me. I returned to a congregation confident in its maturity as a people of God. Isn't that awesome? We are both, the congregation and I, experiencing a great freedom in this. Either of us are, neither of us are neurotically, uh, neurotically needs each other. I am not codependent on them. They are not codependent on me. This leaves us free to appreciate each other as we receive gifts of ministry that build one another up. 
Isn't that wonderful? Jesus holds it all together. Now, many of you have asked me, well, what exactly are you going to be doing on your sabbatical? And I'll put this on the screen for you. I'm breaking up my sabbatical into kind of four buckets or four areas. You can see it there, prayer, rest, relationships, and study. And so in the next three months, uh, after starting after Easter, I am going to be spending a lot of time in prayer. In fact, the Monday after Easter, that's April 5th, I'm heading to a monastery. And so I'm going to be spending the time hanging out with some monks, honestly, uh, just trying to be with Jesus. That's going to be my number one goal, is to spend time in the presence of Jesus, not to get something from him, but just to be with him, just to enjoy his company. Well, the very first sermon I ever preached is out of Revelation where, where Jesus rebuked the church of Ephesus and said, you've done a lot of great things, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. It is very easy for a pastor to lose their first love. And what I mean by that is over the years, as I've been doing more and more stuff for Jesus, it's become harder and harder for me to remember why I even got in this to begin with. And the reason I, I began to be a pastor is because Jesus Christ changed my life and I just wanted other people to meet him. I was amazed by who Jesus is and what he's done for me, and I wanted you to experience what I've experienced. And I just want to spend time over my sabbatical to get back to that place, just to enjoy his company. This is the goal number one for me on my sabbatical, to deepen my relationship to Jesus through prayer and meditation. Secondly, I'm going to be spending time over the next three months resting. How many of you in here have ever planted a church before? Okay, if you've... I don't see anybody raising their hands. Um... Planning a church is very hard work. Um, I don't expect you to necessarily understand that. I don't expect sympathy. But, but you just need to know that 85% of all church plants fail. I can think of four people who planted a church around the same time I did, and all four churches have shut their doors. Um, according to the Journal of Clinical Psychology, pastors actually have the highest level of work-related stress than anybody else. And that's just pastors. Pastoring is hard work. Church planning is even harder. I remember whenever we started the church a little over nine years ago, it was just me, my wife, and six other people who were crazy enough to believe our vision. And because we had no money, because we had no staff, because we had no building, this is just the nature of church planning, I had to be full-time preacher right, and teacher. I had to be executive pastor, which means I had to oversee the day-to-day operations of the church. I had to oversee our missional communities. Um, I had to be primarily the one who handled counseling needs. If someone needed counseling, they would come to me. Um, I had to, you know, I mean, be the one who basically was in charge of being the secretary in the church, um, answering phone calls, running to the bank, doing all that kind of stuff, making sure the legal documents were all put together so that we were covered in that realm. On top of that, I was working 35 to 40 hours a week at Arkansas Counseling Associates, um, raising support for our church and, and for me and my family. And uh, so that was a pretty exhausting time. And fortunately, we grew, right? We now have five staff, right? We've grown from being like in a house to eventually we went to the cinema. We outgrew the cinema and we bought this building. And praise God, we were able to raise the money to do an extensive remodel. Within three years, we paid this facility off so that we are now debt-free as a church. And we can use this building for not just here on Sundays, but ministry to the city throughout. We've had over a hundred baptisms over the last nine years, just as beautiful as the ones we just saw. We have seen marriages restored. We have seen demons cast out. We have seen people healed. We planted a church. We planted another church in East Tennessee that is thriving today. God has also, by his grace, given me favor among other pastors and churches in the world. 
And so I helped start the Saturate podcast, which has, uh, to this day, even 20,000 plus listeners a month. Um, I've been able to speak all over the country to coach pastors all over the world. And all of that has been fantastic. But after nine years of doing all of that, and one of those years being in the middle of a global pandemic, I, I feel pretty good, but I'm probably a little bit more tired than even I think that I am. And because the elders know this is just the nature of this kind of work, the elders came to me. I did not come to them. They came to me and said, hey, every seven years, we want to give you a sabbatical so you can experience renewal, rest, and refreshment. And so over the next three months, um, I'm on a rest. And you can see on there, I plan to play tennis three times a week. I just joined a tennis league yesterday. And so I've been wanting to play in the tennis league for years and just never had time to do that. So I'm going to play some tennis. Uh, like an old man, I'm going to hang out in the garden uh, a lot. We have a 30 by 100 foot garden behind our house. And I'll just be hanging out in there, you know, talking to the cucumbers or whatever. And uh, we've not had cable in three years. So we just recently got YouTube TV so I can try to watch a couple Cardinals games. Um, and, and there's just other things I'll do, just honestly, that I enjoy, that help fuel my tank. Um, I'll also spend time uh, cultivating relationships. I'm going to try to cultivate, of course, relationships with my friends, but primarily I'm going to focus on cultivating relationships with my wife and kids. Uh, there's an ongoing joke that pastor's kids are the worst. It's only a joke that's because it's true. Um, I, I can think of three different sets of uh, pastor's kids that I grew up with that are all outside of the church. And I think, honestly, like four of the six have been in prison at one point. And that's because pastors can tend to neglect their own families for the sake of caring for all the other needs. Um, if that makes sense. And so, man, I'm just going to focus on time with my wife, time with my kids. And you can see on there, I'm going to do a date night uh, two to three times a month, a daddy-daughter date once a month, kids day. My kids have been wanting to go to Disney World for years. My wife did it three times when she was a kid. And I was like, we'll never, ever be able to go to Disney World. But by God's grace, he's provided the funds. And we're going to be able to go to Disney World for four days and just honestly just hang out with my kids with no cell phone and just enjoy their presence. And you can see uh, more on there. But I'm going to try to cultivate deep relationships. And then finally, I'm going to spend some time studying. So i got a sabbatical coach I'll meet with every other week. I plan to read one book a week. And the books I'm reading is not just like, how can I be a better pastor? But honestly, it's just like, how can I be a better man? Like, how can I, how can I become not even just more of the man I need to be, but more of the child of God that I need to be? Um, man, I've been doing ministry, literally, like, I started doing ministry two weeks after I became a Christian. And so this is going to be a great opportunity for me just to sit back and say, okay, like, who am I really apart from all of that? And how do I grow and be in God the child, being the man that you've created me to be? So I'm going to study a lot of that. So prayer rest, relationships, and study. Now, the goal in all of that is simply this. It's to come back better than ever before. Like, that's my goal, and that is to come back happier and healthier and holier. And I want you to hear that because some of you have asked me, like, are you really coming back? Like, is this just a time for you to figure out, like, do you really even want to be here anymore? And, like, are you going to actually, like, go and, like, be, you know, checking out other jobs and, and, and things like that. And I want you to hear from me, like, I'm coming back. Like, I'm doing this because I want to stay. Like, I'm doing this because I want to go the distance. The church is littered with story after story after story of pastors who get burnt out and commit these grievous sins and disqualify themselves for ministry and, as a result, leave behind a wake of destruction. And my hope is that we'll have a much different story than that here at our church, which is why I'm taking sabbatical. 
I'm taking a sabbatical not because I don't want to be around you. I'm taking a sabbatical because I want to continue to pour myself out for Jesus and for this church over the long haul. And if I can be honest with you, um, I am a little bit scared about what the next three months are going to hold for me. I really am. Um, If I told you I was not at least a little bit afraid, I'd be lying. Um, So much of my identity really is rooted in my competency and my work. And so one of the fears, honestly, that I have is, is my joy going to diminish when this work is taken away from me for the next three months? Um, As I said, I started working in vocational ministry almost immediately after I began to follow Jesus. And so in some ways, I'm just being honest, guys, like I'm not sure I know who I am apart from this work. And I say that like not not at all as a badge of honor, but that's a confession of sin. I say that knowing that sabbatical really is going to be a time for me to learn how to repent of times where I have worshipped at the altar of productivity and accomplishment. And it's going to be a time for me to just reestablish my identity as a child of God, as one who is loved, not for what I do, but for who I am in Christ. But I have fears around that journey. Um, I have fears around how is my absence going to affect the church? You know, um, some of you maybe who are visiting for the first time, it's like, what's going to happen to you? And you're like, oh, the pastor's leaving in three or four weeks. Like, what, what? like I have fear around that. I've told you guys before that tr- planting a church is a lot like having a baby. And, and, and what I mean by that is you have this dream inside of you and you're carrying it in you for months and months and months. And then through a lot of work and a lot of prayer and a lot of labor, you give birth to this dream. And when that happens, just like with your own kids, you feel this kind of heightened sense of responsibility to make sure that it's cared for and that it grows and that it's prospered and that it's protected. Um, just as, I don't know if this is true of you guys, but whenever me and my wife go on a date night or we go on a vacation, we have to get babysitters. Like we always feel a little bit apprehensive because even though we're like, I know they're good people, like we know like they don't care for these children like as much as we do. So we're like, you know, are we sure they're going to be okay? And of course we end up leaving and they're always perfectly fine. But I have that same level of apprehension about leaving here. And, and to be clear, like this is not at all a knock on our staff or our elders because they are amazing. Like they, our staff and our elders are absolutely incredible. And so I want to be clear, like my anxiety about leaving the church is not about their incompetency, but it's more about my ministry idolatry, which again, I've got to learn to repent of. And so I have fears about walking away But please hear this, and we're done this morning. I also have full confidence that when I walk away, this church is going to be in great hands. And not just because we have a great staff, but because we have a great Savior, Jesus Christ, who really is the lead pastor of this church. And so here's what I want to do. Uh, Adam, go ahead and come on up. And Luke, uh, if you don't mind, come on up. And um, Chuck is going to join us in the second service. But... I'm going to ask these guys, if they will, just to pray, not just over me and my family, but over our church, because this is a really unique season that we're about to enter into. And before they pray, I just want to say this, and please hear me, guys. It really has been one of my deepest privileges in life to be your pastor. Like, I love you, and I love this church more than you could imagine. Um. And so I'm sad about the fact that over three months, like, I'm not going to be able to be here. Like, I won't see you for three months. Um, That grieves me. Like, I promise you, there's not one morning that I get up and I'm like, I got to go be a pastor. 
like, someone asked me recently, like, um, do you ever fantasize about doing anything else other than being a pastor? And I can say with all honesty, no. I really don't. Like, I feel like right now I'm doing my dream job. I feel like I'm doing what God called me to do, getting a pastor this church in a city that I'm from. Like, I love it. And so I'm going to miss each of you. This is going to be a sad time for me in some ways, but please know this. I'm also very excited about the gift that the elders have not just given me, but also given our church. Because I really do believe, if I can borrow from the words of Jesus, that it is good that I go away. And it's not just going to be good for me or my wife or my kids, but it's going to be good for each of you, for every member, for our staff, and our elders as well. So I'm excited about the future. I look forward to coming back, and I believe the best is yet to come.